Welcome back to Lonely Town, a killer's podcast with Jimmy and Derek. Our guest today is Sterling West. On the way over here, I was thinking about the vivid memories I have of times we spent together in sixth grade. Do I need to apologize now? No. Wait, okay. No, it's uh, it's good stuff. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I remember, feel like there's a lot of listeners. I should just apologize. Can I just apologize now? Like <laughs> you want to get out of the way? Yeah, yeah, can I just apologize now? Like I'm sorry. I I, I was mean. I, I don't. I didn't know any better. <laughs> <laughs> so we went. We went to school together, starting in the sixth grade, through graduation. But I don't know anything about your life before sixth grade. Uh, we're not going to spend a whole life, you know, we don't need to spend a whole time talking about your whole life story. But did you go to Mona Elementary growing up? So I did not attend Mona Elementary. I moved in to Nephi in sixth grade. That's oh. where I moved in. A perfect time to move into town. If you're going to move into town, like, especially being from outside, like sixth grade is a good time to move in. Nobody really knows anybody else from Mona, Levan, whatever. So when you show up in middle school, you're just all the outsiders so yeah i did i did uh elementary school mainly here in payson where we're at today and then moved in to a to a, a quiet little town just north of mona known as rocky ridge yeah so okay yes that's what i was, I was curious about because like you said, when we get together in sixth grade, we don't know where everyone that didn't go to elementary school with us came from. You know, we just assume that they all knew everyone from Mona and Rocky Ridge knew each other before that. And yeah, I think the same, we talk about the killers and Brandon growing up and moving to Nephi. I think he had the same experience. He moved in sixth grade. So it's probably, probably similar experience where it was, you're still a move in, but it's a good time to start when there's a bigger group starting to integrate. So yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, and moving in in sixth grade, it was also a different experience altogether. I moved in, again, from Payson, but when I moved in, growing up in Rocky Ridge, and if you're not if you're not familiar with Rocky Ridge, Allred Hill, or the, the, the Polygamist Hill, or whatever you want to call it, I mean, when you roll in there, you're always, you know, rolling in like 80 deep with all the other polygamous kids that went to school anyway, so yeah, you, you never really felt alone. It's uh, It's been mentioned on the podcast a few times. I don't know if you've heard some of the episodes, but we've talked about areas, and we just kind of don't know how to address Rocky Ridge. We kind of were like, it's still kind of a mystery to a lot of us. We've been there a little bit. We've known people from there a little bit, but there's kind of this mysterious aura about it. Yeah, so well, it's funny when I ran into Derry a while ago, I was like, hey, let me know if you ever need a sad polygamous kid on your show. So here I am, saddest polygamous kid on the show so far, I guess. But uh, Definitely got covered. Yeah. So uh, Rocky Ridge, honestly, one of the coolest places to grow up. I don't really have any regrets about growing up there. One of the coolest things is always somebody to play with. I mean, it's the only place that I've, I've, I've ever been where you, you have a pickup game and you have tryouts. Yeah, there's uh, nothing really worse than being benched after a pickup game. <laughs> You're just not quite as good as the starters in a pickup game. So, yeah, but great community, uh, great people. Growing up there was uh, a super cool. When I moved in in sixth grade, I didn't have one of those last names that really went with what was known as the All Red Hill or the Polygamous Hill. So, honestly, nobody ever asked me, and I just never really told anybody so yeah i guess i mean i guess it's out there now i guess just i think he just made it public yeah, yeah it's out there now yeah yeah so when i moved to uh, nephi i was in the fourth grade okay and like all through like high school and everything i kind of like i had friends i was accepted you know i knew people whatever but you always felt like you were a move in and like 
there's always, you just weren't quite 100% in because you moved in. Now, Nephi was, a, a compared to Rocky Ridge, it was a pretty big place. Oh, yeah, big city. A big city, you know, <laughs> where you came in to bus into school and stuff. Yeah. But even there, I felt kind of uh, not quite 100% accepted. And we've talked to other people that kind of had that same experience from Levan, Mona, Nephi. If you weren't there from birth, you kind of weren't one of us. Was that the same way out to Rocky Ridge, or was it a lot better? Because it's kind of a more religious-based community. Was it a little more accepting? or uh, I was I was pretty lucky in that matter because my, my grandmother was uh, an all-red and... Uh, a daughter of, you know, uh, prophets out there or whatever. So everybody knew who I was. I was related to everybody out there. Her mom was another big last name in the polygamous community. So, yeah, related to everybody. So, yeah, a little cloud. It was almost like a family reunion. To some yeah, extent. so there's nothing worse than, you know, like your uncle who's putting you down for not, <laughs> hey, you're not part of this. <laughs> like, like, what are you talking about? I'm like, it's not cool. So yeah, dang moving, <laughs> yeah, dang moving. Like, Sorry, yeah. I'm starting to see some benefits yeah. to this. Sorry, it took me so long to get to Zion. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, oh my bad. It took me a few years. So, what would you say is one of the biggest misconceptions about Rocky Ridge from people who are familiar with it or who know a little bit about it? So, uh, I would say, unfortunately, right now there's a, a really bad image of what polygamy is. I mean, you got all the Netflix stuff with like Warren Jeffs going on and you've got all those stories and do those community communities exist? Absolutely. They exist, but that wasn't this community. There's no prearranged marriages there. People are getting married at legal ages. There's so I think the hardest part right now is when immediately you tell somebody you're from a polygamous community, they immediately think you wore jeans under a dress and walked around with a bonnet or something like it's like, no, that wasn't, like, that wasn't us. Like, we're the group that's at your grocery store every day that you don't recognize because they're just, they're normal people, good people, and just want a different direction, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess that's the biggest misconception, I guess, with what is polygamy exactly. <laughs> it's getting deep and philosophical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry. No, that's good. That's where we want to go. So, uh so let's go back to sixth grade. You yeah. may, you're there. We're there. We're hitting middle school for the first time. So oh, yeah. we're all awkward and weird. Hormones are raging. Do you have uh, any memories of uh, Brandon Flowers at all through middle school years or uh, any interactions, anything like that? Not a lot through middle school, believe it or not. I mean, middle school, there were only really girls that existed in middle school. I, don't, I barely remember you guys were there. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, you're just worried about one thing. That's primarily I, the upper class. It wasn't really a thing, I feel like, because we were all still segregated so much between sixth and eighth grade that it really wasn't until, like, high school that I had a class with Brandon. We had Mrs. Carter's art, art class, and we had that class together for a whole year. And that's my very first memory, really, of, of Brandon Flowers. Yeah. Any, uh, any stories or anything from that, or you just had the class together? Oh, I just I just remember always thinking, man, this guy dresses so nice. And, and I've heard it come up in several other of your podcasts and stuff before, but really just remember him just dressing so nice and then always just trying, really quiet, and just trying to avoid really a lot of people and what was going on there. It's just, yeah, that's really my memories as far as the art class goes, yeah. 
So you're wearing your fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada shirt today. Yeah, so I just got back from uh, Las Vegas. Uh, just saw him for the second time in Vegas now. and uh, I was down there earlier for spring break, so they just did. I uh, went down there with my 15-year-old, who's a huge Killers fan. Uh, went down there to watch the Killers for spring break. Uh, absolutely amazing. Really, I think it was one of their very first shows. Um, if not their first show since post like COVID stuff. Was it the Cosmopolitan? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, it was absolutely wonderful. So yeah, so we we've been down there now twice to see them. So short drive. They love playing in Vegas, which I mean, don't worked, blame them. It works out good for all of us, right? Yeah, it works out great. So. Yeah, it's been awesome to share a band like The Killers with my kids. Um, there's not a lot of bands when you're growing up and you have young kids that like say everything and mimic everything like little parrots. You know what I mean? There's not a lot of bands that you can just put on, especially from your youth, <laughs> <laughs> that you want your kids saying ever again. So The Killers have always been amazing. Like my go-to band, there's... Not a lot of swear words, not a lot of curse words, just, and so they've grown up loving the killers. So, uh, so when did you find out Brandon was, uh, the killers famous, this guy that you were in art class with and Mrs. Carter's art class, uh, <sighs> dressing nice, dressing sharp, but that, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So several of your other listeners, uh, on here, have, I have served in the military with, and really it was, man, it was early I say like 03, 04, maybe. But I, I remember being in the military with uh, two of them, and they were like, "Hey, have you heard this? Like the killer? Like the, you remember Brandon?" I was like, "Brandon, like Brandon Flowers? Like, oh yeah, I went to high school with him. Like he's in a band." And I was like, "Oh, like like a good one?" Because like, <laughs> there's been there's been other Nephi guys that uh, were a couple grades younger that also tried to start a band and. I, I remember the last time that somebody's like, hey, you need to listen to this. And I was like, so immediately I was a little skeptical. Like, there's no way this is a good band. But when I listened to it, I was like, wow. It's like, this is really good. And I remember listening to it a lot with uh, the two guys that had been on the show previously. I don't even know if I can say their names. but Up to you. We're, we're good. Either one way. of them said my name. The other one is really like the worst friend I've ever had in my life. So... He didn't mention me once, and we deployed together. All those concerts he talked about going to, I was there with him. Like not once did he say my name, so I'm not gonna give him the credit of saying his name. But yeah, I remember listening a lot. And then early on, also we had some a lot of the stuff that came out on Sawdust later. We had like this burnt disc that we had for a lot of years before Sawdust ever was released. So indie rock and roll was my jam for a lot of years before it ever, ever was released out. And it was, yeah. So yeah, that's how I fell in love with the killers was early and just, yeah, super skeptical originally. And yeah, they're awesome. And now you're a fan taking your kids to the shows. Yeah. And I'm a fan taking my kids to the show. So so what did you think about Pressure Machine and any of the songs re relate to you more than others? So Pressure Machine for me, like I said, growing up in a community that really was already an outcast to Nephi, really, there was always that that pressure or that pressure machine that, that existed in 
uh, being a polygamous kid in a community that already really didn't understand or didn't really want to understand, didn't know anybody, and you just kind of got labeled a polygamous kid and nobody ever really wanted to get to know you or understand anything about you. There was, there was always that pressure. I was a little skeptical about pressure machine at first. I, I think it started with all the talking. <laughs> all of a sudden, it was just, I was like, oh, sweet jeez, I'm a Nephi again. Like, <laughs> my goodness, I'm listening to everybody's sad story at the beginning of every song. And it's just like, how am I supposed to get pumped up for this? Like, I just want to cry. But yeah, after really getting into every every song really just kind of brings you back to something that is Nephi, whether it be Dragon Main or hanging out at the pool or, you know, playing sports or homecomings or whatever. Like, it's just weird how every song just kind of takes you to something. Yeah, it's kind of like a, a little time machine that portals you back and uh, that's kind of been the thing for me. And, you know, we read online and we hear different people that we talk to and stuff. They all relate to it. But I don't know that they relate to it the same way as us that lived it do. I don't know. They, they have their own memories and things that they probably go back to in their childhood. But uh, like you're saying, something will hit and you go back to, yeah, the swimming pool, whatever, going over to Bards to get a, a shake afterwards or your, you know, class or down at the old gym skating or there's stuff like that, or, or you're crying, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, growing up in a pressure machine, uh, do you think it was more from, like, the Nephi people towards you, or do you think it was more like your community is a pressure machine in itself? I think you're probably your own internal pressure machine. is probably way more um, inside of you than what is actually coming from the community. Again, someone that didn't really, uh, I mean, you guys saw me at all the dances, I hung out, went to, we did things around the town. So that was kind of out of the norm for the community out there. But once you break out of what is that norm for them, like people in the community were absolutely amazing. Some, a lot of second families that took me in really as one of their own because it's it's a long drive from Nephi to Rocky Ridge every single day. So spent a lot of time at the at the Royces, a lot of time at the Morrisons, a lot of time at the Wardles, a lot of time that really these like second families that really took me in and I always had a place to stay and they always treated me like no different than any other kid in that town. So I think the pressure machine really is just you put it on yourself. Like, the last thing I wanted anybody to know is that I was this polygamous kid from Rocky Ridge, not because, really, that you guys would have treated me any different, but I didn't know that at the time, so. Yeah, we all have things in our head, and we've already made up a decision about what people are going to say or think before we've ever, you know, said it ourselves. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and, uh, uh, yeah, unique, weird situation for me. I mean, I, I even grew up. Now it's kind of fun. Like, it's fun to tell people that, and like, yeah, polygamous kid. Immediately they're like, you're joking. And it's like, no. And then when they find out and they hear my story, they're like, that's the saddest thing I've ever heard. Like, you should do some stand-up. And it's like, that's uh, that's really messed up. <laughs> you think my life is so sad that I should let everybody laugh about it. But, yeah, like, that's my life. But it was, it was great. But, yeah, like I said, most of the pressure that you 
you put it on your cell. It's just it's individual, individual. You put it on your cell. All right. So as you got close to graduating from high school, what were you feeling at that time? Was it I got to get out of here, or trying to figure out what to do? Did you did you have a clear plan of what you were going to do when you finished high school? Well, unlike you guys, I I wasn't very smart. So uh, my plan is when I was in when I was a senior in high school is when I joined the army. As a senior in high school, I uh, did 20 years in the Army. Really, that was my plan to get out. Uh, it, it really was a different plan. In 99, when I joined, like, I remember the recruiters, like, hey, like, you want free money? It's like, hey, I love free money. Like, it's my favorite kind of money. He's like, yeah, well, guess what? Like, you get all this free money, and nothing's happened in, like, I don't know, 40 years? Like, dude, <laughs> I'm in a war. Like, nothing, dude. It's like, it's like, this is, like, really the freest money you're ever going to have in your life. Like, okay, well, you know, shoot, I'm in. And then uh, two years later, 9-11 happens, right? Uh, deployed the first time in 02. And uh, that time I was like, you know what? I'm not really good at a lot of things, but maybe I'll try to make a career out of this. So made a career out of the Army, did 20 years. It was uh, amazing. I got to share it with some really cool people, people from Nephi that it was absolutely amazing to serve with. A little brother from Nephi I also served with. And, yeah, just a great, a great building block and set me up for success, I believe. Yeah, I remember that same recruiter. I remember that pitch. <laughs> I remember him saying, uh, no one's ever going to mess with us. You know, it was kind of the thing of, like, who's going to be that stupid or whatever. And he made a pretty good point. Oh, you yeah. Know, and, uh yeah, two years later, three years later, whatever it was, 9-11 happens, and it's uh, it's been kind of turmoil ever since. You earned yeah. that money. Yeah, yeah. That, well, it wasn't free money. You put in your time. but Perfect pitch at the time. <laughs> Perfect pitch at the time. Yeah, it really backfired, but yeah, it kind of catapulted me to finding out what I wanted to do. Decided to get a degree in HR, which, you know, there's a lot of jobs that after 20 years in the Army, you just probably shouldn't try to do. Really, like, HR is one of them. Like, immediately you're going to realize that you're just not going to be very good at it. You know, it's like, you know, Karen's being mean to me. It's like, well, you should punch Karen in the face. Like, they, they frown on stuff like that. Yeah, so you just don't really relate. It's like, hey, I'm having the worst day ever. It's like, oh, nobody shot at you and trying to get blown up. Like, how, like how bad can it really be? So, yeah, from there, it kind of, it, as weird as it is, I... I've always loved cooking, so got into, I went to culinary school, had some time off between the military to kind of figure out what I wanted to do in life, went to culinary school, they asked me at the culinary school to stay on and teach chefs how to teach, which was really cool, just because at the end of my military career, I was teaching senior level leadership courses and things like that, so spent a year and a half teaching chefs how to teach. I uh, went to Salsa Queen, if you're familiar with Salsa Queen, little salsas with the candy skull on them in the grocery store. I was the executive chef there for uh, about six months, seven months, and then I uh, got offered a position through Davis Technical College, and I worked there teaching the Women's Culinary Arts Program at the state prison. So weird, weird series of life, and here I am. Yeah. Cool. And now you're on Lonely Town, the Killers now Podcast. I'm on, now I'm on Lonely Town, so you, the podcast, talking about my sad story. So uh, in in uh, Pressure Machine, we have uh, Quiet Town. Yes. And there's a line in there, uh, or a theme in there about opioid stories. Okay. And uh, I don't know if you want to go there or not. 
Sure, let's go there. But uh, there's there's been some stories and some things about uh, you might have dabbled a little bit. You might have some stories to tell about. Uh, oh, I may have dabbled, huh? That's the rumor. That's the rumor. That's why we got you. Here. Oh yeah, that's yeah, so yeah. That's a good story. If, yeah. Uh, if you don't want to go there, understand we can cut all this out. If you want to go there, let's uh, yeah, cut, let's, cut, cut. No, no, I'm good. I'm good. So um, opioids, yeah, one of those things that you hear all the like the rumors of you you trying it once and you're getting hooked and Things and it's and it's hard to believe. So there's nothing's going to hook you after one time. Uh, that's not true. Opioids are that thing that it only takes once, and before you know it, you are spiraled right out of control. And yeah, opioids uh, grabbed a hold of my life early. Really took me for a whirlwind. Uh, I was lucky enough to have some great friends that looked out for me and took care of me, but. Yeah, I, it wasn't before that I OD'd and was revived three times on the way to the hospital that it, you, you realize that it's like, what just happened? So uh, without naming names or whatever, yeah, yeah, let's let's break this down a little bit because people hear the record, they hear the small town, they hear the the people talking before it. You know, it was beer, and now all of a sudden it's everywhere, opioids, drugs, all that kind of stuff. Um, how old were you when this started to happen? When you got into this stuff, and how? So I just, introduced, just I had just left high school, so really it wasn't that prevalent. I don't in Nephi yet. I don't believe um, just based on the groups that I was around. I feel like it had to been more prevalent. I probably would have known, but it's all gateways. When people talk about gateways and things that lead you to, to those situations in life, it's the underage drinking that leads to the underage smoking that leads to the marijuana that leads to wanting to try something more and everyone's like well that's really really cool answer from like the dare program but it's <laughs> it's the truth unfortunately you know it's just one thing that kind of leads to another and before you know it you find yourself in the back of an ambulance you know being revived wondering how in the world did i ever get here so hey it's a it's a quick road and i don't know that i blame nephi for it absolutely don't blame Nephi for it. The only person you can blame for anything that you do is yourself. But So how do you think it got to be prevalent in Nephi? Because you're talking about it. It was until you moved out, kind of got more college age. I uh, kind of introduced it. But uh, it seems to have been, I don't know if it still is, uh, kind of an issue and a problem. How do you think or why do you think uh, the opioid kind of epidemics happen throughout the throughout the country, really? Oh, man. Uh, this is getting real deep. It's it's easy, and the other thing is Nephi was always a couple years behind. I mean, I don't even know if jerbos were cool the year the year we were wearing jerbos. Like they were super cheap at Savers, but uh, I I don't know. We just we've always been a few years behind. But when something like that it catches you, uh, it, it catches a community, especially one that's not very big. It's a very quick and fast fire that just kind of consumes everything and everyone very, very quickly. Even with some of the record, when you talk about somebody being killed by a train and things like that, like the community is so tight-knit and so close that one death or two deaths from an, op- an opioid is, that's huge in that community. So it doesn't, yeah, it just hits way differently, but I think it's just like everything else that starts with, over-prescribing pain pills, and from there it's cheaper to do other things that you can find on the street that unfortunately aren't as controlled as well either. 
which is what also leads to overdoses and deaths and things like that. You just, you don't know what you're buying on the street. So, yeah. All right. I got real dark. Make it nice and awkward for you. Yeah, yeah, it's cool, it's cool. It was a different time in my life, and I'm better now, so... No, we're, yeah. we're glad that you are, and overcame all that, and definitely something to be proud of. I mean, it's not something to be, you know, ashamed of. It's yeah, something it's you overcame, tough. and... Yeah, and once you're addicted, you're kind of always addicted. It's... When you talk about being an addict forever, like, you're always an addict. Like, sure. I you know, we should tell listeners, does it feel great? Yeah, it's great. Like, does it feel amazing? Yeah, you feel amazing. Are you going to wake up finding yourself in a spot you don't want to be? Yeah. You'll, you'll do that too but yeah it's you're always chasing that you're always chasing that and once you're an addict I mean you gotta do everything you can all day every day to fight that urge to go to a, a place to escape whatever is going on in your life or whatever because it's it's easy I mean everybody comes home sometimes having a bad day it's really easy to reach for something that you shouldn't because it'll numb that it'll make you feel real good I love West Hills, and one of the other themes that I wasn't planning to talk about, but since you brought up where you work now, it talks about going to prison. So I'd love your perspective now that you work with inmates to hear what maybe similar question from before. What are some of the misconceptions about people in jail or what they have to go through? Yeah, so one of the things that I love about working with inmates, um, especially, is I could have found myself there at one point in my life. I would say... I don't know what this is, an exact statistic. I mean, 72.3% of all statistics are made up on the spot, right? So I would say like 95% of everybody that's in there is, is for something drug-related, you know, that uh, spirals their life out of control and, uh, and that stuff costs money. So you got to steal to cover that or you, you go for a drive and somebody gets injured. Like, it's all drug-related. So it just it, it's just something that takes over you and these are these are good people that I get a chance to work with every day that have had a chance to come clean everybody that's in my programs within five years of getting out so I get it I get to help rehabilitate or help give somebody another chance as they try to get out and do something different with their life so and that's cool you know that's a that's a great opportunity when you've been there before and you've been bailed out by by friends and family and things like that and gotten to a better place and you just hope to provide that to somebody else definitely so <clears throat> when you're listening to pressure machine what's uh what's the one song that you have to listen to and what's the one that you try to avoid Ooh, man honestly it as weird as it is sleepwalker is my jam I don't know what it is about that song. It just kind of talks to me. Mainly because I think everybody kind of goes through life sort of as a sleepwalker. Like, there's a lot of things that you just kind of do every day that, in a weird way, speaks to me like just doing that monotonous, you know, nine to five life all day, every day. It's just something that kind of talks to me. Oh, the one I try to avoid. I don't know if there's one that I try to avoid, to be honest. I'm, I'm a push play and whatever happens happens kind of guy you know what i mean and do you listen with uh with all the talking and stuff absolutely or? not no you the bridge no I, yeah absolutely not that that talking was uh i i think was the first thing that I, it made me just like think that i'm never going to be able to listen to this album ever because like i said that talking just was like the sad part of everything in nephi that you just don't want to remember like it's just how it felt to include the horse breaking its leg at the which is still one of those memories if I could just erase 
Like that horse breaking its leg and you stampede is one of those that I would. So you were there. Yeah, I would race all day, every day if I could. To the gunshot in the back uh, as they put it down, like it, all of it. Yeah. And, and and just in case I didn't know, my dad was uh, well known for taking all the pictures of the Ute Stampede. One of the big photographers for the Ute Stampede, but he even had a uh, like a picture, like and like why would you why would you show me this? Like this is literally the worst picture you'd ever show anybody, and it's just the horse going into like the, the trailer right before the shot. <laughs> like, like anyway, thanks, Dad. So, uh, so would you go to all the stampedes then, since your dad was the photographer? Uh, I went to a lot of them. I definitely haven't been back for a few of them. I, I don't know that anybody's done anything during COVID. I guess Nephi probably didn't shut down during COVID. But <laughs> it probably didn't happen there. I was in only because I was in Manti during the peak of it, and I I walked into the Walmart in Manti, and there were there were, there was one person wearing a mask, and it was me. And I was like, great. Everyone's just looking at me like I hate the government or whatever. I don't know. So yeah, I don't know if the did the stampede happened during COVID. So. I'm sure it did. So yeah, it did. I tried to do the right thing. I didn't go to stampede during COVID. I live in the city now, so, you know, I for sure would have brought COVID to Nephi, you know, the stampede, and I'm sure it would have been my fall. <laughs> was, that, was that outsider from Salt Lake that brought all the COVID to everybody? So, with your kids and your wife and all this, when you, when you talk about the killers or when they hear a pressure machine, do they ask you any questions about any of that, or is that just kind of something you do on your own time? Uh, so, my kids, uh, during my first deployment, my two oldest kids were... They actually went to Mona Elementary and lived in Rocky Ridge with with my parents during that, during my, uh, I guess my second deployment. And so uh, they kind of know a little bit about that small town and Mona and and Nephi and, you know, did did Lisa's dance shop and, you know, like every other kid should do in their life. And so, yeah, it, it. they kind of get it, and it's cool. We were down there enough that they and they understand. But to say it's their favorite album, it's not at all. So they're definitely more into the older stuff that is a little more of their jam, a little more upbeat. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh, are, you, are you on the concert in Salt Lake? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I will be there. Um, I've I've made all of them in Salt Lake, even the small venues. Uh, that's why I said you had a listener on here before that talked about, and he was the biggest name dropper of all your listeners and dropped all these names of people that he deployed with and people that he went on like to these concerts with and blah, blah. I and mean, not once did he mention me. I've been to every concert with that guy, deployed with that guy. Yeah, so... I'm not going to give him. I'm not. I'm not going to say his name because he doesn't. He doesn't deserve it. Really bad friend. In fact, hey, we he, don't want any bad mojo in this room. Yeah, he's probably not getting a Christmas card. So empty spot on his mantle for anybody else who wants to send him one. So, but, you, but you've been to a few concerts with him. Been to, How many times do you think you've seen the Killers? Then, oof, I think it's up to like twelve now, twelve or thirteen times. Is there one tour or one uh, performance or anything that's like the one that you remember the most is the best? Well, I, I have short-term memory at this point. You know, it's not like full alt. I like like some timers. I have some timers at this point in my life, so I, I don't remember a lot. I mean, I remember they were all great, but of course, I'm going to remember the last one I went to and just 
got to share that with my 15 year old son and see how excited he was so in vegas like yeah that's for sure my my highlight right now definitely not any with like that old guy that i talked about that used to be a friend like none of those memorable at all or enjoyable in fact that same guy that got on and told you all those wonderful stories about going backstage what he didn't tell you about is his friend that he'd only gotten two tickets backstage for that rode with him they had to sit outside for like two hours while he was backstage <laughs> in downtown Salt Lake in like, you know, really, really classy part of town. So, nothing yeah. Nothing shady going on at all. Yeah, nothing shit. So, real neat. Real neat. Do so you have any, uh, any early merchandise memorabilia, anything like that? I know you didn't go backstage now, I've learned. So, I'm not yeah, yeah, so I've got a lot of just empty posters without signatures. Yeah, stuff like that. that none of, you know, haven't made my walls because they're not nearly as cool as others, but they also haven't been stolen, so I don't have to worry about that. And really, I've only got the one poster with the signature on. I don't know where I got it. Where it came from. <laughs> Everything's coming together. Yeah, Make it sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, just that one, but yeah, I have to keep it hidden now. <laughs> so do you still have that burnt CD with... Uh, like uh, all the sawdust stuff before it came yeah, out. Yeah, I do. And uh, from what it, I heard, I don't know where I heard it from or who told me this, but it was uh, it wasn't quite like it was when it came out the, on the full album. No, not at all. In fact, the one on the that came out it so much better. They just kind of and I still love the one off sawdust. Don't get me wrong, but just a little more stuff added to it. The it's kind of like when you listen to, like the acoustic version of something. And you're like, oh, it's so good. Like it's just raw and it's not like. It's almost like that's what it was. And it just felt amazing. And then by the time you heard it on Sawdust, you're like, I've heard this. And I heard the real version. Like, this is this is fake. Yeah. You got a couple guys that I know that might need a copy of that. Okay. Just, just, yeah. throw, just throw it out there. Might have to try and find it at this point. Yeah, that's yeah. why I asked if you still had it. Yeah, man, CDs. Yeah. yeah. Are, yeah. I don't even have a device to play a CD yeah. anymore. Uh, I mean, we can MP3 it up. We can figure it out. Okay, okay. We, got, we got technology. Yeah, I'll try to find it for sure. I'm, I'm pretty sure I've got it in, the, you know, the old book, the old black book of CDs. Yeah. It says, uh, top secret killers don't share. That's yeah. That's what it says. Yeah, that's what it says. Yeah, it is not actually what it says. So, uh, if uh, somebody was to come to Nephi, we talk about this a lot. Okay. If they were to detour... And maybe go through Mona. We'll throw Mona, Rocky Ridge, and Nephi all into one big loop. Oh, yeah. Where uh, where would you recommend them to, uh, what things should they do or see if they were to come through and uh, see where you grew up? Oh, yeah. So they should definitely stop by Rocky Ridge. A lot of stuff happening there. Uh, what I would recommend is uh, going to the pad. So the pad is a, 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 just a cement slab in the middle of town with two baskets on each side that yeah, well known for... Uh, pickup games of basketball and <laughs> they can go in and, and try to try to be next be yeah next, yeah and it, and it takes a while you know like it you play a lot of pickup games where you know might you might have to wait one or two games yeah with 412 kids there's a good chance that it might be a day or two it's a it's it's, it's kind of an ncaa tournament bracket there can so. i tell you my pad story oh yeah, yeah please please so uh i was uh Trying to be after a girl of your community at one point. In was my it my cousin? School, in my high school years. Was it my cousin? It was your, well, 
Odds are. Yeah, yeah. Go there. We're all, yeah. <laughs> was anyone not your Jokes cousin? Jokes on you, they were all my cousins. And so uh, <laughs> it was like 4th of July or something. We were going to go watch fireworks or, or something like that. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, I was pretty young and naive at the time. I still kind of a naive, but I'm not so young. And I uh, drove up there in like, I don't know, my mom's nice car or something. I don't know what I was in. And we pulled up, and I think we didn't have cell phones and stuff then. So oh, yeah. it wasn't, you couldn't go to her house. And I think she said, we'll just be outside somewhere or something like that. And I don't remember who even was in the car with me. But we pull up, and, like, the whole community is at this pad yeah. that you're talking about. Yeah, and I don't know if there's Fourth of July, what was going on. It could have been a Wednesday. could have been anything. Matter. And I pull up, and everybody's looking at you. And that's when it hit me, like, I'm not sure I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm, uh, you know, this is a good idea. But I'm already here, and uh, I can't just drive off. So I awkwardly get out of uh, my mom's nice car, and I just kind of stand there, and I'm scouring the audience to see where uh, this young lady's at. Yeah. And uh, I think her and I think your sister might have even came. Oh, uh, yeah. But a couple of them came in, got in the car, and we drove off. But that was that was the first time in my life I felt uh, like I really didn't belong somewhere, and that was probably coming for me, and I couldn't get out somewhere fast enough yeah. because I felt like maybe it was not going to end up well for, for this guy. Yeah, but, anyone, anyone but it all did. Yeah. I, I was, you know, I'm not saying anything negative <laughs> or bad. This is my perception. So if you go to the pad to play some basketball, that's just be place. prepared. There might be some stairs. Yeah, that's a place. And you wouldn't be the first guy that pretended to like me for 20 years to hook up with a family member. I, I didn't marry her. Yeah, there's another listener that pretended to be my friend for 20 years to hook up with my sister. So, yeah, that guy. In fact, Mrs. Sanders made us best friends in sixth grade. I didn't know. I didn't know where that was going, but so sorry I derailed you there. Uh, places we need, <laughs> places people should see. Go up to Rocky Ridge, yeah, start the pad. You gotta go to the pad, uh, right across the streets, the church. Mona, we always loved. Go- I don't even know if there's water in Mona Reservoir anymore. The last time I drove by, it was empty, but we used to uh, we used to jump off the rocks over there by the dam, which was super cool. And then every year they'd kind of drain water into the into that uh, river behind there and then it stop it so all the carp and stuff would get stuck in the river behind there so you just shoot them with whatever whatever you came to shoot them with slingshots bone arrows guns like whatever yeah so well, there's, there's some places to check out for sure yeah other than that like, I, I don't know just just keep driving south to the big city reach the lights and Nephi you done uh, yeah from there it's endless possibilities <laughs> endless possibilities so yeah I, but yeah a couple really good stops on the way there you know the pad and the church but did yeah. you ever hit uh Burson's Ponds and oh, the, yeah. The swing? yeah Burson Ponds yeah that's uh that was in the documentary that made the, the documentary yeah I think that was my first swimmer's itch but <laughs> I know <laughs> yeah I don't, yeah Burson Ponds come get a souvenir <laughs> yeah it was fun though. It's I mean, it's part of our childhood swimming at Burson Ponds is you know, it's where everybody hung out in the summer. If you're too if you're too poor to go to the pool, I had other friends and listeners on here that could afford to go to the pool every day. Parents must have both been doctors or something. Like, <laughs> we had Burson Ponds and I had to ride my bike eight miles each way. So yeah. that's that's actually true. Yeah, that's actually true. That was one thing about kids at Rocky Ridge, and I talked to them, and they'd uh, they'd say where they biked into that weekend. <laughs> it was Santa Quinter down to Mona, and then oh, they'd yeah. bike back. And that. all the time, all the time, yeah. I was like, yeah, Torday Rocky Ridge. 
You know what I mean? It's, every, <laughs> you, you get out of there and go anywhere on a bike. And then you had to get back. That, that was part of the suck. Yeah, I was going to say, downhill. it's not downhill, or not uphill both ways at least. No, no, no. Hill. Oh, it's downhill to Burstons. <laughs> yeah, there were times I just thought about becoming another transient there instead of riding home. Like, it's a lot of work. It's a long ride home, so, yeah. Any other killer's memories? Oh, man, just hoping to make more. Hoping they don't stop making music. The rumor is they have enough stuff from this last one to make a whole other album. So I I can't wait to see. I, I look more forward, I guess, to the memories still to make especially uh got a young one at home that hasn't got to fully enjoy the killers yet uh, he's only two so yeah 18 15 and two uh any listeners out there thinking it's a good idea to retire and then have a kid it's not that's a bad idea yeah, you don't want to start over but yeah they're they're all blessings i think is what you're supposed to tell people they're all blessings <laughs> So, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, just looking, more looking forward to what they come out with and seeing what they got, and it's just, it's been a fun ride. I, I think that it's even bigger than Nephi. I mean, really, when you talk about it, like it's now encompassed really the whole state. Like, when you, even when you go out of state, you know, like, they'll be listening to music, and they're like, oh, this is the Killers? I'm like, yeah, they're from Utah. I'm like, what? Like, yeah, so, <laughs> it's cool. Like, yeah, it's been really cool. It's been a fun ride, and... Yeah, hopefully they're not done. Well, uh, we were talking a little before you came in about some stuff you're doing with, uh, like, Moroccan kids and that kind of stuff. Why don't you share that with everybody? Oh, uh, yeah. So me and my wife, we were on a 501c3 that started. It's a Moroccan. So our state partnership for the state of Utah is with Morocco. And so every year we take military youth from Morocco, and they come stay with our youth. And then the following summer, our youth go there. And it's a two weeks on each, each exchange. And so... We just finished one just recently, which is why I missed the last time I was scheduled to show up here. But uh, my 15-year-old was hosting a Moroccan youth this year. And a couple years ago, I guess it's been four years now, three years ago, traveled to Morocco with my oldest daughter. And four years ago, she hosted a Moroccan girl. So really cool, super cool program. Really, it's uh, for military members. Um, when you deploy and you only know really one side of kind of that Muslim culture, that Muslim, like, in your head you have kind of made up what you think people are and what that, and it's it's cool to get to see the other side of that and meet people that, you know, really are just like you and have the same beliefs and it's really the same goals in life from a different culture other than, you know, Iraq, Afghanistan, things like that that we've come accustomed to knowing so yeah really cool program and like i said me and my wife are both lucky enough to work on the board and she's the vice president of the board and so yeah it's been super cool so this is sterling west thank you guys for having me and this is another episode of probably the saddest episode of lonely town you've ever had till next time